We all love being right, don't we? Maybe. We have a few honest people here, maybe. Maybe someone online would say, yes, I love being right. Well, we often make being right the goal of a lot of our conversations, or sometimes we make being right the goal of our quest for knowledge. Sometimes we seek out knowledge in order to prove a point or to show other people how right we are. Sometimes we go on a quest for knowledge to be able to combat that atheist neighbor or tell that spouse, see, here's what the Bible says, and see, here's what you're supposed to do. So sometimes we have a hidden agenda when we're on a quest for truth, and it's not really to pursue Jesus and to know Him more. Sometimes our pursuit of truth is because we want to be right, and we love hanging out with other people who will affirm that we're right. And we love hanging out with other people who also think they're right, that we agree with the fact that they're right. It's like this infectious thing that we just are attracted like magnets to other people that just love being right. And we can get so concerned with being right that we forget the gospel. And so today I want to talk about being right versus being righteous. Over the past few weeks, we've been going through the book of Galatians verse by verse And we've learned that the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the church in Galatia, to this church that had been been deceived by truish teaching. It was teaching that had elements of truth, had sprinklings of truth, but it was really a false gospel, if there is such a thing. These false teachers were called Judaizers, and these Judaizers would teach that, yes, be saved, come to know Jesus, but now that you are a person who Christ has saved, in order to maintain your salvation, you must now become a Jew and do the things that Jewish people do. Things like being circumcised, things like observing the Sabbath, and things like eating a kosher diet, observing festivals, observing holidays and traditions, and they would elevate those things on par with saving faith in Christ. So it wasn't just in Christ alone that made you right in the eyes of God. It was faith in Christ plus all of the things that you could do. And these false teachers would teach us, and it was attractive to people who had previously heard Paul's gospel that justification or being made right in the eyes of God only comes through faith in Christ alone. It was attractive to these people because we're all a little attracted to being right. And these people were very much attracted to this idea that they could boast in how right they were. Because here's what we do when we seek out being right above righteousness and above the gospel. We elevate ourselves above other people based on what we have done or what we haven't done. And we think that somehow we have accomplished something others haven't, so we have reason to boast in what we've accomplished. And we like that. It makes us feel good when we think about how we checked the boxes, how we did the right things. And God must like me a whole lot because I'm doing all the things he likes. I showed up for church. I gave in the offering. I volunteered. I've been a good person. I didn't swear when I wanted to. I didn't give that guy in traffic the bird when I wanted to. I didn't do all these things. I was nice at Thanksgiving, you know, to that person that showed up. And I was really, you know, kept the peace. And we think, because we've done all these things, I read my Bible this much, I prayed this much, I I went and got baptized, or, or I went and received communion, or whatever the case may be, I went through this class or that class. We check all these boxes, and we think somehow God goes, wow, that's really good. I am so impressed. 
And now all of a sudden, our righteousness or our right standing with God is acquired or maintained or somehow enhanced by what we've done, and we miss the gospel, which is trusting in Christ alone. So Paul wrote this letter to the church in Galatia because they were receiving this type of message, and it's the same type of stuff you and I can get caught up in when we love being right, because here's the thing we need to understand. Pride loves being right. Pride loves being right. Let's read Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 10. Paul writes this to those people who he's been dealing with this issue of the Judaizers, but also if you'll remember from last week in chapter 5, he talked about the types of fruit or the results of someone who lives to please their flesh, what type of fruit they'll produce. But then he talked about the contrast of the fruit of someone who's walking in the Spirit or someone whose life is hidden in Christ, that they become a new creation, they should produce certain kinds of fruit. And so he talked about this dichotomy of the person who is trusting in themselves for righteousness and what kind of fruit that produces, and then a person who truly is made alive in the Spirit. And so in that spirit, he's still writing to this group of people to help them understand faith in Christ alone and staying away from these false teachers. And he says this, verse 1, chapter 6, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted." Bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And do not let us grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith." Here, Paul, he, he starts this portion of his letter off by saying, if someone's caught in a transgression, and I believe in the greater context of this teaching, he's saying that those who have gotten caught up in trusting in their flesh, those who have got caught up in trusting in their own works of righteousness as a pathway to God's love and God's acceptance, he's saying those who have gotten caught up in this false teaching of these Judaizers, because remember, that's the context of the whole body of this letter, those who have been caught up in this stuff, he said, you who are really spiritual, you who actually are mature is what he's saying. If you're really spiritual, you'll respond to someone who's gotten caught up in this type of false teaching this way, you're going to want to restore them. That's going to be a sign that you're spiritually mature, that you actually want to restore this person, not beat them up and not elevate yourself to say, well, I didn't get caught up in the Judaizers teaching. I didn't get caught up in all of the talk and all the fanfare about, you know, being holy through circumcision and the Sabbath, and, you know, I've done pretty good, because this is a slippery slope, man. You can do the very same thing that those who are trusting in the false teaching were doing by pride getting in your heart. You can have the very, the very same attitude. You can, uh, you can actually think yourself better because you didn't take the bait 
of the false teaching. And you can become very critical and very judgmental of what other people have done and what you haven't done. And you can go, you know what? I've done pretty good here. I've been a pretty good Christian. Everybody else, those goofballs went off listening to those Judaizers. I tried to tell them. What is that person concerned with? Being right. That person is more concerned with the I told you so's. I did, you know what? Uh, can't say I didn't see that one coming. Didn't I tell you that old, you know, Joe over there was going to, you know, listen to this or old John was going to fall for the Judaizers? I could just tell, you know, he trusted in his own righteousness anyways. And we become very critical. We become very judgmental. We become very negative in where we should be loving one another. And actually, when someone's caught in transgression, we should seek to restore them. How? How do we know that we're a spiritually mature person when we seek to restore others who have fallen in a spirit of gentleness? Because there's a way to restore. There's a way to restore someone, and there's a way that is very prideful and damaging that further causes pain. When someone has gotten caught up in something, we love to go chase after what is right in our eyes and show them how right we were the whole time and how wrong they've been this entire time. And sometimes we do that when they actually have their eyes open to see the truth and they're already wounded and repentant and will want to go ahead and further beat them up. Oh yeah, well, I tried to tell you that. I'm, I'm glad you finally see it. That's not the spirit that we are to restore someone in. We're not going to go, all right, well, all you who listen to the Judaizers teaching, time out. Go in the corner. That's right. Every one of you, you know who you are. Go in the corner and you're just going to pay penance for this. No, that's not the heart of a spiritually mature person. The heart of a spiritually mature person is to restore them with a spirit of gentleness. And then what does Paul say to those who consider themselves spiritually mature? He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Watch out because the enemy would love to slip in and actually elevate your way of thinking and elevate you into a place of pride. Because remember, that's one of the enemy's tactics. He wants to make much of you. That's what false teachers do. They want to make much of you and elevate you. And you are your own answer to your problem. And what you really need is you need a better version of you. You need you 2.0 and Jesus will help you get there. That's what false teachers do is they want to elevate you and they make less of Jesus and make much of you. And that's exactly what Paul is saying, you, you got to watch out for yourself because lest you actually fall into the same type of temptation. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Jesus said, this is the law that can be summed up into these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law of Christ. On all of these two things hangs all of the laws, all of the prophets, all of the commands. Everything hangs on those two things. Everything that matters in light of eternity and everything that matters to God hangs on those two things. And if I fulfill the law of Christ, part of that is bearing one another's burdens, realizing that, man, I, 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 am, I am a person that is tempted. I'm a person that has the propensity to fail I am a person who has a past and who has a history, and I don't get it right every time. So who do I think I am to cast judgment on those who have been duped or those who have been transgressors? I need to seek to restore them, not boast in being right. That's what Christians should do. Christians should seek to restore one another, not boast in being right. 
It is so contagious for us to get caught up in wanting to hang out with other people who affirm how right we are and who we agree that they're right, and we all listen to the same type of things that reiterate our rightness. We all you know, agree and read things that reiterate how right and correct we are in our observations, and everyone else is just dumb, and they need to just get with the right club. And that's how we treat other people, and we miss the gospel. We miss the gospel because we've elevated ourselves and we've thought more highly of ourselves than we should and we're not being very spiritual. But here's the temptation, here's the, here's the deception is that we actually think we are spiritual when we're doing that stuff. Isn't that dangerous? Yeah, it's dangerous because it wounds people. It inflicts people. When we think somehow because we see something they don't see or we understand something they don't understand that somehow we're better than them that somehow we are more enlightened, and because we're more enlightened and because we're more right, we are actually more righteous in our own eyes. And God goes, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. God is not impressed with your own brand of righteousness. As a matter of fact, Scripture calls it filthy rags. And it's not something that God goes, wow, you've got a gold star by your name. You're a pastor. Wow. Wow. Pastor Derek, you know, like he gets to go through the express lane of prayer. So, hey, pastor, why don't you, uh, you know, give a word to the big man upstairs for me? You know, just say a little, say a little something for me. Because my prayers are special? No, my prayers aren't special because I'm a pastor. Because guess what? Every one of us who are children of God are all worth the same and all loved the same in the eyes of God. Because you can tell the value of something and the worth of something based on what it cost. And when I read the scripture, I see that every one of our salvation and right standing in the eyes of God costs the same. It was the precious blood of Jesus that was paid for your salvation and my salvation. He didn't say there's an upper class Christian and then there's a, a, a lower class Christian. We all are worth the same in the eyes of God if we belong to him because we all were bought with the same price. It was a great price. Every one of us. It's not God likes pastors more than some and he hears their prayers quicker and so let the pastor pray for you because he hears the pastor's prayers quicker. No, it's this idea that every one of us now belong to God. So why should we get into this social warfare of uh, this class warfare of thinking we're better than someone else based on what we have or haven't done. He said, if you think you're spiritual, you should be focused on restoring people, not beating people up because you're you might be tempted too, so keep watching yourself. Paul's trying to help them understand what really matters and what they should be focused on. Verse 7, he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. So if you sow to your own flesh from, the flesh, from the flesh, you'll reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Don't grow weary in doing good, he says, because it can be exhausting keeping the door open when you're trying to be patient with someone who may be caught up in a cycle of sin. Isn't it? It, it can be really tiring. Why don't they see this? Why don't they get it? I've already said everything I could say. I've already done everything I could already do. And the temptation is to just reject them instead of still leaving the door open for relationship. They just don't get it. No, don't get weary in doing good. Don't give up. He said this here. He said, in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. So we need to keep sowing spiritual things. We need to keep investing spiritual things in others and in ourselves. 
He says, verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We should seek to restore one another, church, not boast in being right. Amen? Jesus said it a little different way. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 7, and let's look at Jesus, probably one of, one of the texts that Jesus, he actually uh, makes this statement, gives this illustration, and even people who aren't Christians know this scripture. Matter of fact, I think that the scripture that starts chapter 7 is probably non-Christian's favorite verse of the Bible. And it says, judge not lest you be judged. Have you heard that from somebody that doesn't know the Lord? Yeah. Have you said that before when someone starts stepping on your toes and saying things you don't like? You, you know what the Bible says, don't judge. You're not supposed to judge me. It's what the Bible says. Jesus said don't judge. They don't know any other scripture other than John 3.16, but they know this one. They don't know where it's found, but they know it's in there. Judge not lest you be judged. But they, they stop reading the rest of the text. And they begin to prove text based on the fact that they don't like the truth they're being handled. And so let's look at the whole of the text here and see what Jesus actually said after he said, judge not lest you be judged. Let's look at verse 3 of chapter 7 in Matthew. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Ooh, did you catch that? Did you catch that at the end there, what he said? Jesus gives this illustration of judging in this idea of a speck and a log. And he said, you're so focused on other people's thing that they've got wrong with them. You're like that OCD person that just wants to fix, you know, that one thing about that one person, and you're like, ah, ah. And, and you just keep poking them in the eye, and you're just making them mad, and you're trying to get it. Here, let me get it. Let me, uh, I don't like that. Ah. Sanitize your hands first. Maybe you're trying to get the speck out of their eye. And Jesus said, if you're doing that, you're, you're, you're missing what really you should be focused on. He said, what you should be focused on is first dealing with the log, or some translations say the plank that's in your own eye. Because I don't know what it's like to have a log in my eye, but I do know what it's like to have a speck in my eye. I don't know if any of you have experience having a log in your eye. But what I consider a log, that would be severely painful. And so he says that we're the ones who actually have the log if we're focused on our brother's speck. I don't know what that's like, but I could only imagine if a log were in my line of sight and if it were stuck in my eye, that would be painful and I wouldn't be able to see clearly. But the problem is, is he's saying the person who has the log stuck in their own eye they can't even see that they had the log stuck in their own eye. They're blind to it. And that's how people who are focused on being right are. People who are more concerned with being right don't see how hurtful they are to other people. They don't see how much damage they're causing in their crusade of being right and going around beating other people up because they're blind to it. They can't see past the log that is in their eye. But they're focused on everybody else's issue, but they can't even deal with the one 
big glaring issue that everybody else is like, oh, see the guy with the log in his face? I mean, how awkward is that? He doesn't see it. She doesn't see it. They don't get it because they're so focused on that speck, that one thing that they want to control about somebody else, the one thing they want to do to, if they just do this, and, and they're like, man, Jesus said, deal with your log first. Well, Lord, how do I deal with that if I can't see it? Here's how you deal with it. You ready? Lord, help me see the things that I don't see in myself. Help me be aware of the things I'm not aware of. Help me to have good, godly Christian counsel and brothers and sisters in Christ who love me enough to tell me the truth to help me see what I'm not seeing. Because it could be obvious to everyone else, but I don't see it. It's a huge log, and everyone else sees the log, but the person with the log doesn't see the log. You understand? You get it? And he says, once you've dealt with that, then. He doesn't say, don't deal with the speck. He actually says, deal with the speck. But he says, deal with the speck in your brother's eye after you've dealt with the log in your own eye. Look at this, verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What does that mean? That means that once you have allowed the Lord to deal with your heart in a way where you have been honest and transparent and you have repented and you have become aware of your own great, huge need and Jesus being the answer for that need, It's going to change your strategy on the speck. You see, before, the strategy to get the speck out was just to peck and peck and peck and peck and nag and nag and nag and nag. And it wasn't doing anything but irritating the other person, and they don't want to be around you because you're just poking and poking and poking. You're trying to fix it. But now that you've got the log out of the way, you go, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I've got a lot clearer vision here. You're going to change your strategy. You don't let them still have the speck in their eye. It's not about ignoring it or being some sort of passive-aggressive person or just letting it lie. You deal with it because you love them. But because you have first dealt with your own issue, it has tempered your heart to change the way you deal with theirs. You see, this is what the gospel does. This is what happens when we first take a look at ourselves. It changes our strategy. This is the same thing that happened when the woman was caught in the act of adultery and was brought out to be stoned by the religious leaders. And they brought this woman to Jesus, and I could imagine they were pretty forceful and violent with her and probably threw her on the ground, and they're probably making some sort of intimidation circle around her, and they all have these large stones that they're ready to just throw and hurl at her to kill her. And they look at Jesus and they say, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery And the law says, we need to stone this woman because she did this. What do you say? And they were trying to catch Jesus. They were trying to get him to slip up. And Jesus just bends down and he starts drawing in the ground a little bit. And after he's done doodling in the sand, Scripture says that he looked at those accusers of this woman and he said, let him who is without sin be the first one to throw the stone at her. What did he do? He made them look at the log. They weren't seeing it. They weren't thinking about their own sin. They were thinking about judgment. They were thinking about casting judgment. They were thinking about the speck. They were thinking about someone else. They weren't thinking about themselves. They weren't looking to their own sin. And then Jesus, the only one in that group of people that day who could have, by his own admission, cast the stone because he was the only one who was without sin, he bends down 
And he says, woman, where are your accusers? She looks up and she says, there are none, Lord. And he said, well, I don't accuse you either. Now go and sin no more. He dealt with the speck, but he dealt with that differently than how her accusers wanted to deal with it because he made them look at themselves first. That's what we who are spiritual are called to do, to restore in a spirit of gentleness, not being deceived by our own unawareness of the log that's in our own eye, but actually remembering the gospel. Paul says it like this in Galatians 6. He says, bear one another's burdens. Don't get weary in doing this. Don't get tired of doing this. Keep doing what is right. Keep sowing spiritual things. In due season, you're going to reap if you don't give up. Keep doing good to everyone, especially those who are in the household of faith. Bear one another's burdens. Remember the gospel. Remember that as the song says, we were once those who were blind, but now we see. We once were those who were lost, but now we're found. Sometimes we forget we were lost and we forget we were blind before we met Jesus. Sometimes we forget we were once a slave to sin. It's kind of when you hear the story about someone who became wealthy and they came from nothing, they were just barely getting by and they grew up very poor and, and always hungry and maybe abused and neglected and then some turn of events happens in their life and they become extremely affluent. Maybe they become a professional athlete making millions of dollars or maybe they just stumble into some dumb luck and make a good stock pick or maybe they win the lottery and now all of a sudden they're affluent and they used to not have anything and then when they begin to act snobby and arrogant, what do those people who remember them before they were wealthy, what do they always say about them as a criticism. They have forgotten where they came from. They don't remember where they came from. And it's not that those people who are affluent need to go back to being a person who had nothing. That's not what I'm suggesting. But they do need to remember where it is that they came from so that they will maintain humility throughout this new experience that they have, and they will remember where they came from so that it will enable them to have compassion on those who may be where they were. That's the gospel. That's what a true picture of the gospel does. And that's what it means to bear one another's burdens. And that's what Paul is trying to get us who consider ourselves spiritual to remember, is for us to remember the gospel that once we were blind, but now we see. Once we were lost, but now we're found. When I remember the gospel and I remember that I was once lost too, I'm going to deal with the speck in my brother's eye a lot differently. Because when you hear a sermon series like what we've been teaching through in this Truish series, it can excite people. And I know that. It excites me when I study it, right? I get really excited. And, and you come to church and you get some good ammunition to go unload on your neighbor or your coworker or your family members or whoever because now you've received like this new revelation of, oh my goodness, Pastor Derek talked about narcissus last week and I've got a list of names and I know people who listen to some of those people and some of those teachers and I'm going to go out and I'm just going to blast the internet with this stuff and I'm going to go fix all of my family and tell them how they're all wrong and just beat them up over how they're all listening to false teaching and I'm just going to... I'm just going to unload all of this new information. And, and, and if you're doing that, you're sinning because you're full of pride. 
because you're more concerned with being right rather than restoring someone in a spirit of gentleness. You're more concerned with the speck in someone else's eye and you forgot you got a big old plank you got to deal with first because that's not the strategy of Jesus. That's not how Jesus comes and rescues someone from false teaching by going around and just punching everybody in the face. Just going out and machine gunning everybody and, and ostracizing everyone and severing ties and causing a lot of damage. That's what arrogant, prideful church people do when they think they've watched some great new revelation on YouTube about uh, some sort of apologetics to be able to prove the resurrection of Christ and they can't wait for Monday morning to sit at the lunchroom table with that coworker that doesn't believe Jesus really rose from the dead and they want to beat him up and it doesn't accomplish a whole lot other than irritating the speck. Are you understanding this? Because that's not love when you go at someone aggressively and in order to be proven right. And what you may be believing may be true and what they may be believing may be incorrect or untrue, but the strategy you use must be one that is from a spiritually mature standpoint that is considering once you were lost, once you were blind, once you were caught in all kinds of chains of addiction and bondage, once you too were, were a slave to sin, and just because you found freedom and you found salvation in Christ and you learned some things in the Bible, doesn't now give you a certificate to go around and beat everyone up in Jesus' name. Jesus doesn't appreciate it because he doesn't need you to go out and beat everyone up. He needs you to go out and live the gospel, which is remembering. That's right. I too was once there. How did he reach me? What's the strategy, Lord? Because here's the bottom line. Righteousness requires humility. Righteousness requires humility. It requires of me, if I am to be righteous, it requires that I humble myself under the mighty hand of God. It requires that I not think higher of myself than I should. It requires that I remember that I was once an enemy of God. It requires that I, I love other people even when they may stray, even when they may try to hurt me, even when they may talk bad about me. It requires that I love them where they're at when they're unlovable because Christ loved me when I was unlovable. That's the gospel. Not that you're accepted when you get everything together and you get everything squared away and you meet all these certain benchmarks. Then I'll accept you and welcome you. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's when he died for you and me. Not when you got all shiny and perfect, no. And the only thing good in me is Christ. Amen? But when we hear teaching that wants to make much of us, that elevates us, that wants to elevate our good works, we can miss the mark. That's why the same apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, he said that there's going to come a time where people are going to heap upon themselves teachers that are going to say what they want to say. He said, they're not going to endure sound doctrine. He said, they're going to have itching ears, and they're going to actually accumulate for themselves people who are going to just suit their own passions, people who are going to make much of them, people who are going to teach this empowerment message about you're the greatest, you can be the greatest, you need a better version of you, you 2.0, and Jesus helps sometimes. No, it's not greater is me that's in me. It's greater is he that's in me. Amen? 
And when I remember that he is the greatest thing in me and he is the only good thing in me and he is the one who saved me from a life destined to hell, that he's the one who saved me from myself, then I can understand where Paul said, I crucify my flesh daily. I have died with Christ. I've been buried with Christ. I've been raised with Christ. My identity is wrapped up in Christ. It's no longer I who lives. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh here on this earth, Scripture says I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. That's how I live this life every single day, not just looking for somebody to tell me what I want to hear. Now, I, don't, I don't like messages like this, Pastor Derek. It makes me evaluate my own heart. It makes me evaluate. Well, you can find plenty of people who are going to tell you you're the greatest. <laughs> There's going to come a time people don't want to endure sound doctrine. They want to be right. But you can't want to be right more than you want to be righteous because righteousness requires that you're humble. If you think you're righteous because of what you've done, you're just piling up a bunch of filthy rags. And it stinks to God. It doesn't impress God. God's looking for someone who is dependent on Christ and Christ alone. So what is your real goal? What's your real goal? Why are you seeking truth? Are you seeking truth only that you like? Are you only looking for truth that settles in your agenda and only feeds your agenda? Or are you seeking truth because you want to maybe fix yourself and maybe to fix other people? Maybe you're sitting here in this message or you're watching online and you're thinking, man, my spouse really needs to hear this one. I need to make sure they listen to this because, man, goodness, they need to be cleaned up. And, they need... and you're missing the point. You're focused on the speck. And you're not letting the Holy Spirit show you your plank because you're so focused on someone else that needs this and you're missing it today. Can I tell you, you are missing it. I love you enough to tell you you're missing it if you're thinking about someone else who needs to hear this. It's great to maybe want to share this with someone else. Don't get me wrong. But you need to look at yourself. Are you seeking truth because Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by Him, and He is the only one who can make us righteous? You see, pride elevates and boasts in how right you are, how smart you are, how holy you are, and people who think this way hurt others because they think they're better than other people. Paul begins to warn the church in this last part of his letter about these things and what to do. So let's read this and let's let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts through this last portion of text. Verses 11 through 18, Paul says, see with what large letters I'm writing with my own hands. <laughs> He's like, I want you to see this and get it. He said, look what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They don't want to suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. They want to be able to say, look at how good I am, because the Jews were persecuting those who had abandoned the ways of Judaism and who were only trusting in Christ alone. And so in order that they satisfy the Jews who would want to persecute them and arrest them and make their lives miserable and also be Christians, let's do a little combo here. It's kind of like KFC Taco Bell. You put those two together, neither one of them are that great. <laughs> For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? 
even those people who are boasting about their circumcision, they're not keeping all of the law. So, he says, they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So, in other words, they're going, we are not keeping the rest of the law, we're circumcised, but look at how many converts we got over here. Look at how many people that we got to go see the doctor. <laughs> look at how many people went to go visit the moil, you know? I mean, is that really the goal? It was for them. He said, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He said, the world's dead to me and I'm dead to the world. I'm not living for other people's approval or accolades for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. So he's dealing with both camps here because some people took pride in the fact they'd been circumcised. Some people took pride in the fact that they hadn't. And he's saying, neither one of them matters. It doesn't matter only a new creation matters. Verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God, or the family of God is what he's saying, the household of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He's saying, I've been physically persecuted. I've been whipped, and I count that as being persecuted as unto Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Here's what the gospel does. The gospel levels the playing field. The gospel levels the playing field because now it's not about whether I'm uncircumcised or circumcised. It's not about whether I did this or didn't do that. It's have I received Christ and that's it. It's not like first class Christians and coach. It's like Everyone is on the same playing field because of Christ. It's not that there exist these different groups of super Christians who are really good at like trusting Jesus and being really good Jesus followers and everyone else is subpar. No, we're all worth the same in the eyes of Christ. The gospel levels the playing field and so it should help me remember how to treat other people. It should help me remember how to restore someone, how to bear one another's burdens because the gospel levels the playing field because we all need Jesus no matter who you are, amen? I don't care if you're the president, I don't care if you're the pope, I don't care if you're rich and famous or if you're somebody, no one will ever know their name. You need Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus and you never stop needing Jesus, amen? We're saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, for the glory of God. That is why we are saved. And I know we want to be right. <laughs> I know. I get it. I like being right too. I'm not exempt. I know we all love being right because I'm in that club. <laughs> we want to find teachers who are going to make us feel like the superhero. We want to find people who are going to agree with our message and who are going to elevate us and make us feel great like we're somehow superior and then we use that to cause harm to other people. And can I tell you, church, that's not the way. That's not the way because righteousness requires humility. Righteousness requires humility. Righteousness requires humility. There is no other gospel. Paul says, if anyone else teaches you another gospel, let them be accursed. He said, even if an angel comes to you claiming to be from the Lord and presents another gospel to you other than this one, that it's just Jesus, he said, let, let him be a curse. 
He said, there is no other gospel. He said, even if we come to you with something different, like if we've changed our minds, he said, let us be accursed. That's what he says in the opening portion of his letter. He's like, how could you be so foolish? How, how could you be just this gullible? How could you be tricked? Why would this look better to you? Did you somehow start in the spirit and now you're going to finish this journey in the flesh? No. You want to identify with Christ. It's because of what Christ has done you've been made right in the eyes of God. We can only be made righteous in the eyes of God by trusting in Jesus Christ, the one who paid it all. So Lord, help us to trust in you alone. Let us repent of our prideful ways. And may we take the next few moments as Holy Spirit, you examine every heart. And if someone needs to come to faith in Jesus today, maybe today's the day of their salvation. May they call out on the name of the Lord and be saved. If there's some of us who are already believers, may we repent of our arrogance. May we continue to grow and be strengthened in Christ. May we be firm, have our feet firmly planted on the rock that is Jesus. Help us to remember the gospel. Help us to remember the great price that was paid in Jesus' name. Amen.